James chapter 4, if you take your Bibles this morning, James chapter number 4, we've been talking over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Roland has been preaching to us and reminding us about the importance of walking with God. And as believers, it is critical, it is vital that we be walking with God day by day. And as he spoke to us last week, we were reminded about our need to be renewed and refreshed in that walk with God. That the things of this world, the, 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 even the sinfulness of our own flesh just pulls and draws us away. And if we're not actively pursuing after God, we will find ourselves drifting away from him. But as I was thinking about fellowshipping with God, there was a a single theme that kept coming up. Because there's a critical component in fellowship with God that must be present. And it must be practiced in our lives. We talked about some of the, the good things that we ought to do in order to... Um, in, in order to walk with God and experience that walk with God. We talked about you know, reading our Bible. We talked about praying. We talked about being in the assembly, going to church. And, 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 and even uh, it's essential for us as believers to be reaching out, to be, to be telling others of, of the gospel. We can go through and do all of those good things. And I, I, I do not mean, I want to be clear this morning, I do not mean to disparage those things. Those are necessary. They are needful. However, without this critical component, there will be no fellowship with God. If we miss this, we can go through all the motions of doing all the Christian things that we are supposed to do, and yet be out of fellowship with God. And I don't know about you, but that is a place, a fearful place, that I do not want to be. Just going through the motions, doing all the Christian things that I'm supposed to do, but yet not being in fellowship with God. What a terrible place to be. And when we're going through the motions, when we're doing that, then then a lot of those things, like take Bible reading, for example, we we open our Bibles and we read it, but it's it's dull, it's flat, it's empty. There's nothing there. We're just kind of checking it off the list and doing it and moving on. Things like coming to church, even witnessing, become just religious rituals that we've got to make sure we do because that way we know that we're where we're supposed to be. But the whole time, we're not in fellowship with God. We'll experience the kind of Christian life that's described for us in James chapter 4. And we do want to remind ourselves that James 4 is not written to people who are lost. It's not written to non-believers. It's written to save people. And notice how their lives are being described. In chapter 4, James 4, verse 1, James says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence? Even of your own lusts that war in your members? 
Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts be double-minded. Lord, would you help us as we look at your word this morning? Would you help our hearts to be tender and receptive? Would you help me to say only those things that you would have said this morning? And would you be honored and glorified as we study your word together? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Notice the Christian life that's described in these few verses. Verse 1 talks about wars and fightings. This is conflict. Where we're going about living, we're just going from one conflict to the next conflict. And these conflicts come as we are fighting for our own desires. We're fighting for our own comforts. We're fighting for our own pleasures. And so we're living a life of conflict. In verse 2, it talks about ye have not and cannot obtain. Sounds a lot like frustration. Like we're trying to fight and trying to get satisfaction. We're, we're trying to, to, to acquire that, that feeling um, of being satisfied and being settled. But we're never really truly finding it. It's like we're grasping at, at air and it's just not there. And so we go after this thing and then we go after that thing. And, and there's just this frustration in life. Verse number three talks about our prayers. Our prayers become characterized by selfishness as we ask amiss. My relationship with God descends into nothing more than a genie in a bottle that I go to and rub the, rub the bottle or rub the lamp and get my wishes granted to me. And that's all that it is. So conflict, frustration, selfishness. Verse 4 talks about being at enmity with God. There's discord and conflict with God. And going about to get what we want, we, as he describes them as adulterers and adulteresses, we cheat on God by resorting to the world to get what we want. And here's the scary thing about it. You notice how verse 4 begins, Know ye not? James is saying, don't you know these things? And the, the inference is that they didn't know. They were thinking that they were okay with God when in reality... They were at enmity with God. They were an enemy of God. They were actively fighting against God. Can I remind you, these are Christians. These are believers. In verse 7, 
We see that the devil's kind of getting his way, having his way in their lives. He's not being resisted, which means that his purposes in our lives are being realized. He's destroying. He's stealing from us. And we don't even really notice it. Have you ever been there? That your Christian life kind of felt like some of these things, like it was, it was constantly going from conflict to conflict, that it was filled with frustration and selfishness and discord with God. You know, something's not right. You're going through all the things that we're supposed to do, but something's just not quite right. We're out of fellowship with God. And the devil seems to be having his way. Things are just falling apart. We need help. Some of you can look at your own Christian life this morning. Maybe not everything, but you can see there's some, some of these characteristics that are there. Yeah, I'm there. And you know what? There are times when I get there. And you know what? We need help. And I like verse 6. Verse 6 has that hinge word, but he giveth more grace. He gives more grace. Oh, how we need God's grace. God's grace is His divine help. And when I'm humble enough to acknowledge that I need God's help, He gives grace. God resists the proud who, boy, they've got, they they don't need Him. They have everything figured out. Everything's great between them and God. But the, the humble, He gives grace to the humble. But the question is, what do we need to do in order to access this grace? We know that God has help for us. When we find ourselves in this place of being out of fellowship with God, God has, there's some help for us. What is the help? How do we access the help? How do we get the help that we need to deal with the desires, the, the lusts, as he talks about, of our old man? And I think the key is in verse 7. The first five words of verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore. That word, therefore, connects this idea with the rest of the passage. Because of this place where you find yourself, because of the reality that there's help available, there's grace available, because of all that, submit yourselves, therefore. It seems like such a simple thing this idea of submission. But it is the key. It is the the core ingredient. Because without submission, all the other trappings, which are are good and we need to do of of the Christian life, are dead and empty. They're meaningless without submission. It seems like a simple thing, and maybe we even say it's too simple. But it makes all the difference. So I want to talk to you this morning about submission and the Christian walk. And we see there's submission stated. Let's take a look at that word. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. What is submission? Well, the word submit, the Greek word that's translated for submit, is a military term. And the term means to arrange troops in divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. 
It's the idea of establishing a hierarchy, a chain of command, a structure of command, and then fitting individuals in different places in that hierarchy with the understanding that they are going to submit, that they are going to put themselves under the command or the authority of another. In non-military use, the word means a voluntary attitude of giving in. An attitude of cooperation. An attitude of assuming responsibility. Submission is an act by someone who could decide otherwise. So it's a voluntary act that they take where they choose to place another person's will, their desires, what they want. Another person's well-being. They choose to put that person's will and well-being before their own will and before their own well-being. Here in verse 7, submission is a command. The verb is imperative. The, the, the noun, the subject is implied. It's not there, but it is you. It is me. Hey, you, all of us, those of you who are believers, those of you who are experiencing this frustration in your Christian life, those of you who are outside of fellowship with God, the key is right here, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. It's an imperative command. It's something that we do, and I like this in the phrase, you submit yourself. It's something that we do to ourselves. Nobody can do this for you. It's something that you must choose to do. And I wish that that weren't the case because I look at my children and I say, I want them to submit to God, but I can't do that for them. I can't force them to submit. It's something that only they can choose to do. Submission is always something that is willing. Otherwise, it's subjugation, right? You can make someone do something that they don't want to do with enough force. You can do that. However, if they're going to submit, it's going to need to be willing. There's another Bible word that's used throughout the New Testament, and that is yielding. Submission is yielding. In Romans 6.16, we won't turn there for sake of time, but Paul says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield or submit yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey? whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. He goes on in that chapter to talk about how we are to yield, submit our members, our, our, our bodies. We're to submit ourselves to God. To yield our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Submission is that idea of giving of myself and choosing to put someone else's will before my own. Arranging myself under the authority of someone else. The problem is, in our sinful flesh, submission is not natural. It doesn't come naturally. Naturally, we're just like the Israelites in the Old Testament. We read about them. We read about all the different things that, that happened to them and all the different experiences they, they had. And over and over again, we find God reaching out to them, and the response is pretty consistent all throughout the Old Testament. They are stiff-necked. Whereas the prophet Ezekiel talked about how God would reach out to them, God would 
show love to them and they would turn the shoulder. Like, leave me alone. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to decide for myself. I mean, I'm in charge. I get to dictate what I do, what I do and don't do with my life. That's what, that's what we are, naturally speaking. But see, the essence of submission can only be experienced at these points of conflict with our flesh. Points of disagreement. Without those points of disagreement, without what God says going contrary to what we want and what we desire, submission is just agreement. Parents, we have to be careful about this with our children because we can look at them and say, well, look at all that they're doing. Well, we raised them that way. They're, for now, they're comfortable in that lifestyle. They really don't know any other lifestyle. And so it could just be all the things that we see. It could just be agreement. Oh, yeah, I want to do those same things too. But we, won't, we don't see submission until now there's a conflict. You can't practice submission until there is a conflict. Otherwise, it's just two people agreeing, to, agreeing with one another, agreeing together. Submission. Not natural for us, but it's the idea that we take ourselves and put ourselves underneath the authority of someone else. And naturally, and we've kind of already said this and we've read the verse, who are we submitting to? Who am I giving in to? That word cooperation, as was in the definition, who am I cooperating with? Well, we're submitting ourselves, therefore, to God. I'm submitting to God. God is asking for my willing submission. God is asking for my voluntary cooperation with what He wants to do in me. Turn to Romans chapter 8. We are going to look at a variety of different passages this morning. Hopefully not bouncing around too much. But Romans chapter 8. We mentioned the fact that submission is cooperating, going along with, participating with what God is doing and wants to do in us. Romans 8 tells us how God is working in us. And this gives us an idea of what we are submitting to, specifically. Romans chapter 8, verse number 11. It says there, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead. And of course we understand that who raised up Jesus from the dead, that was the, the power of God. It's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead, if He dwell in you. And we understand that at salvation we receive the Holy Spirit of God. If that's the case, then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or bring life, make alive your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. And this gives us a window, a picture into God's work in our life. If submission is cooperating 
and allowing God to work in our life. How is God working in us? He's working in us through His Spirit, by His Spirit. So what we're really doing in submission and submitting ourselves to God is we are submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God. God is at work in our lives through the Holy Spirit. If you are saved, that is the reality for you. God desires to work in your life through the Spirit that dwells in you. And it is your obligation, it is your responsibility to submit to Him. To arrange yourself under His authority. To cooperate with Him. And back in our text, what does this submission then accomplish? When we submit ourselves to God, well, I like this. You notice that submission in James 4, 7 is mentioned right in context with the idea of resisting the devil. This is an exciting truth. When we submit to God, submission enables us to resist the designs of the enemy in our lives. In other words, submitting is resisting. When we submit to God, when we submit to the Spirit's working in our lives, we will be resisting the devil. Sometimes we can get all focused. Uh, Here's all these areas I need to say no to the devil. Here's all the things that I I shouldn't do. And I make sure to not allow the devil to bring these terrible things into my life through, through my own choices of sin. But instead, I think what we should focus on is just simply submitting to God. Because when we submit to God... In the act of doing so, we are resisting the devil. And the promise is, when we submit to God and resist the devil, he's going to flee. See, submission enables God's help, God's grace, God's blessing in our lives. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9, the Bible says that we have fathers of our flesh who corrected us, and we gave them reverence. And then he asks the question, Shall we not much rather be in subjection? Same idea as submission. Shall we not rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits, unto God, and live? It's an obvious question. When we put ourselves in submission, in subjection to the Father, we're going to live. Now, that's not talking about heart beating and you know, physical life. That's talking about connection with God. That's talking about being in fellowship with God. That is submission. Now, God just doesn't demand submission from us. He actually displayed submission on our behalf. Turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2. I want to look at, we looked at submission stated. Let's look at submission in our Savior. Because God doesn't just demand submission on our behalf. He displays submission on our behalf. And you see this in Philippians chapter 2. This is a very familiar passage, but a powerful passage. Philippians chapter 2, and look there in verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5. Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
In verse 5, we're told a little bit about Jesus and his status. Who is Jesus? Well, he is in the form of God. And then it says that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it means that his equality with God was not something stolen from God. It was the reality. Jesus was in the form of God. He was God himself. So he had that position, that place as God. But yet, verse 7, we see his humility making himself of no reputation. Taking upon himself the form of a servant. Being made in the likeness of a man. And let's understand how much of a step down that was. God, the infinite God, the limitless God, the omnipotent God, choosing to veil all of that in human flesh. That's a step down. And if that weren't enough, verse 8, he stepped down to, to be a man, but then... And here's the key. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, this is the mindset of submission. In verse 5, described as that. Let this mind be in you. This is the mindset that Paul is saying, this was Christ's mind, and this is the mind that we are to copy. All right? Let this mind be in you. What is the mindset? Well, the mindset is the, the attitude and then the action of submission. It is obedience to the point of suffering and suffering death on the cross. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5, and there's a description that's here that is incredibly moving and powerful of what this was. The submission of Jesus Christ to the Father's will so that you and I could experience salvation. This is incredible. Look in Hebrews 5, in verse number 6. The writer of Hebrews is describing Jesus. And we don't have time to look into it, but he's describing Jesus and, and how he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. But in verse 7, he tells us what Jesus did, what happened to him, and his, what his submission Looked like. Look at verse 7 says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he suffered. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Think about that. And of course, it's describing. That scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Christ, in, in anguish of spirit, prayed in the garden and sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. I mean, th this was a turmoil in his heart. And you remember his prayer. As much as it be possible, let this cup pass from me. As much as it be possible, if there's another way to accomplish your will, Father, without the cross, without the separation that's going to take place on the, on the cross without me bearing the sins of the world. If there's another way, let it be so. Nevertheless, not my will, 
but thine be done. And you know what the writer of Hebrews says? In verse 8, Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He learned submission. And that can be something that can cause us to scratch our heads. You know, Jesus is God. How can he learn something? Well, think of learning in this way. Jesus now truly experienced submission and obedience. Before, he was in 100% complete and utter agreement. The Godhead was one. There was, there, was no, there was no conflict. There was no uh, a string of any sort of desi- desires. They, they walked in perfect agreement. But now Jesus in his flesh saw the cost, the price that was about to be paid as he would give his life on the cross. The price that would be paid, the separation and fellowship between the Son and the Father because the Son was bearing the sins of mankind and the Father was judging sin in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Seeing that... Now there was a desire to do something different. Now there was, if we could say this, now understand what I mean, now there is a conflict. But you know what Jesus chooses to do in that conflict with the body that he, that he, that he had, the pain that was about to come when that conflict came? Jesus submitted. He experienced submission. He experienced obedience. And this, verse 9, completed, or it says he made perfect, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. This completed the act of bringing uh, bringing, uh, salvation to each of us. Notice the conflict and the submission. What a picture that is for us. And you know what? This submission that, that is being pictured for us really begins at the point of salvation. Turn to Romans chapter 10 and I want to show you what I mean. Romans chapter 10. How is salvation really just submission? Look at Romans 10. One of my favorite verses. It's, it's uh, familiar to many of us. When it comes to understanding salvation... It describes the Jewish people and how they approached the the message of the gospel, how they approached salvation. In verse 3 it says, They being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, and notice this, they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. In salvation there is a submission to the righteousness of God. There is a submission to God's definition of sin. In other words, God gets to define what sin is. We don't get to to make that definition. We don't get to say what what is right and what is wrong. God's in charge. He is the authority. He gets to say what sin is. He also gets to to say the reality, the description of who I am. Before Him, in in relationship to His righteousness, what am I? Here these Jewish people were going about. They're busy trying to establish their own righteousness, trying to to, to clean themselves up so they can be right with God, so, so God can accept them. They're not submitting to God's description of them. They're not submitting to the reality that we are all as an unclean thing. God says... That my good works are not good enough for salvation. 
God says that my good deeds will not earn me salvation. The question is, am I going to submit to that reality or not? Or am I going to say like these Jews did, no, I, I, I can do this. I can make it happen. I can make it work. And as a result, they're not submitting themselves to the righteousness of Christ. So we're submitting to God's definition of sin. We're submitting to God's description of ourselves. We're also submitting to God's declared remedy. What is the answer for my sin problem? What is the remedy? Well, God says it's in the person of Jesus Christ. The question is, are we going to submit to that? Are we going to say, you know what, that is the only remedy? You know what, that is my remedy. I receive that for myself. So we see that salvation is literally the point of submission. It's where our walk of submission ought to begin. It's the point where we understand that what we naturally believe about our sin and what we naturally believe about ourselves is in conflict with what God says. And this is why the new birth is at a point in time. Because we understand that what I naturally think about myself, how I view myself, how I view my sin, is in conflict to what God declares me to be and what God declares my sin to be. And at that point of conflict, I make a choice to submit. And that is a point in time event. Now, the natural man does not receive those definitions because they're foolishness to him. So that can't be right. That can't be true. And why, 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 why does God have to make those kind of declarations? Why, why can't my good works be enough? Because to me, that makes sense to me. So I don't understand what, what God's problem is. Well, there's, there's, there's the issue right there. I have to submit to God's remedy for my sin problem. I have to submit. It's that point of conflict, and I have to choose to submit. We see this in the Apostle Paul. Remember him on the road to Damascus? He's breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the Christians. He's going go to go to Damascus, and he's going to find those Christians. He's going to bring them bound back to Jerusalem. He's going to He's going to uh, basically set up the way he wants things to go, the way he thinks religion ought to be. And God knocks him off the horse, and he sees that bright light. And then the question, which is literally the point of his salvation. After he understands that it's Jesus who did this. His first question was, who, who are you? Who just did this? I'm Jesus, who, you, who you're persecuting. And then, what was Paul's question? His point of submission. Verse 9, or sorry, verse 6, Acts chapter 9, verse 6. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That was Paul's conversion. The point where he submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitted to God's remedy. What wilt thou have me to do? Demonstrated in the form of a question. Because a good way to look at submission is when we ask God questions. When we let God inform us, when we let God inform our actions, our attitudes, instead of ourselves. But see, this is only the beginning. 
Submission begins at salvation. Our Christian life begins there with our submission. But that submission that started at salvation must translate now to our daily walk. It must be something that we not only did way back when, but a habit that we are about doing every moment of every day. And this is submission to the Spirit. Our last passage today, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, another familiar passage, but I just want to bring these thoughts together. And I think in doing so, it'll, it'll, it'll make things make sense. And then practically speaking, how do we apply it? It'll, it'll bring everything together. So one more passage, Galatians 5 verse 16. Paul writes there in Galatians chapter 5, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, and there's a long list that's there in verse 19, verse 20. Verse 21. And then he contrasts that with the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So he talks about, and he, he introduces in verse 16, this idea of walking in the Spirit. If I'm walking in the Spirit, then that is God's Holy Spirit at work in my life, bringing me to points of conflict. Bringing me to situations where I can learn submission. We see the conflict in verse 16 and 17. The fact that the spirit and our flesh are at odds. They're they're contrary one to the other. And God will will bring us to this place. He'll, He'll allow us to experience conflict. Conflict with my flesh. Conflict in circumstances. Conflict in relationships. And those are the opportunities for me to submit myself to God. To be in submission. And in order to be in fellowship with God, I have to be actively submitting to Him at those points of conflict. If I am not doing that, it doesn't matter how many of the external trappings, all the other things I am doing, if I'm not doing that, then I'm not really submitting to God. It's critical. I can go through all of those motions, but unless I'm actively submitting on a moment-by-moment basis, I'm not in fellowship with Him. And I'm not really walking with Him. I'm not in relationship with Him. So I walk in the Spirit as I submit to the Spirit instead of my lusts. And I love this term, walk. Walk is just a series of steps. It's a series of choices to take a step. It's a set of uh, of specific choices And so that walking in the Spirit means I'm making a a set of choices that are submitted, that are completely submitted to God at those points of conflict. So just like a a walk is repeated steps, a walk in the Spirit is making choices that are submitted to God on a repeated basis over and over and over and over again. Submitting to God at the points of conflict. And this is a beautiful thing because it even, it even allows us to take difficult people and difficult circumstances who 
When, when we experience, we naturally want to, all right, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to respond to them. Here's how I'm going to put them in their place. Here's how I'm going to deal with that. And we can even submit those people and those circumstances. We can give them to God. Amen. Say, in my flesh, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to handle this. But I'm allowing you to handle this situation. I'm submitting even them to you. What a wonderful thing that is. Amen. Now, he, he gives a contrast that's here. Remember, walking is a series of choices, making repeated choices. If I allow my flesh, my, my natural sinful flesh, if I walk in my flesh, if I fail to actively submit to the Spirit, it produces something. And that something is verse 19 through 21. It's a long list of really bad things. If I'm allowing my flesh to have free course, if I am not actively submitting to the Spirit, these kind of things are going to come out of my life. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Not a pretty picture. This is what my life looks like apart from active moment-by-moment -moment submission to the Spirit. That's what's produced. That's the bad news. The good news is that active submission to the Spirit brings about some fruit as well. And the fruit of the Spirit is a wonderful thing. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness and goodness, faith, meekness and temperance. Some people approach this and it's like, it's like a to-do list. I've got to study all these things and make sure I'm producing these things. No, 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 you're missing, you're missing something. You don't produce those things. All you have to do is submit to the Spirit at the point of conflict, and He's the one that produces those things. All of a sudden, you find yourself, oh, I'm loving that individual. I, I didn't say, oh, I've got to love him. I, gotta, I just submitted to the Spirit like, okay, what do you want me to do right now? How do you want to, how, I, I just got provoked. How do you want me to respond to that right now? I'm submitting to the Spirit. And He's the one that produces all these things. And we, we, we go down the road, we're down the road, and we say, how did, how did that happen? It was the Spirit. The Spirit of God. As I walked in the Spirit. The essence of submission to God. Asking God questions. Questions like the question of Paul. What do you want me to do, God? Here's the situation. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? I'm ashamed to say this, but many times I don't take the time to ask because I'm not 100% certain I want to hear what the answer is. So if I just kind of do it and don't ask the question, then later on, you know, we can kind of fix things afterwards. Better to, you know, ask for forgiveness than permission, right? Sometimes that's how we treat the Spirit. So you see how it's essential for us to walk in submission. And this is a submission that we can practice. And I would encourage you to practice in your daily walk. To ask God some questions. Like when we approach His Word. And I hope that you're walking in His Word. 
reading his word every day, when we approach God's word, God, what is your message for me today? What do you have for me? You want to speak to me, and I'm now listening. Questions like, is there any sin that hinders my fellowship with you? Am I hanging on to any bitterness? Am I hanging on to rebellion? Examine your heart. Do this every day. The last 24 hours. Is there sin that I need to confess? Sin that, heart, that hinders my fellowship with you? That's a question. We're, to, we're commanded in, in the Scriptures to pray in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? It just simply means to pray about the things that God wants you to pray about. God, what do you want me to pray about? Direct my prayers. God, today, who do you want me to encourage today? Who do you want me to witness to today? How can I praise you today? Those are questions. Now, they're not magical questions. It's not a comprehensive list of questions. But there are questions that we can ask so that we can develop the pattern of submitting to the Spirit. You see, with questions, how does God answer those questions? Does He do so in an audible voice? No, He doesn't. However, we submit to the Spirit by submitting to His Word. And many times the Spirit responds with drawing our attention to the truth. And that is the promise in John 16, right? Jesus said that the Comforter would come, the Spirit of truth, and He would guide you into truth. Right here. He would guide you into truth. So we submit to the Spirit's answer by submitting to the Word, and we also submit to the Spirit's answer by submitting to His leadership. There are some things that are not right and wrong issues. But we ought to seek after God's will. God, which, what, would you, what would you have me do? We do have the promise. We read the promise in Romans 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I say all that to say this. Fellowship with God is not possible without submission to God. Now, that submission begins with salvation. That submission begins with a point in time where you understood that your understanding about yourself and your sin was contrary to God's declaration. Has there been a point in time in your life where God brought you to that place where you understood that conflict? And then you were willing to submit to, to God's declaration and God's definition. Has there been a time in your life where you made that choice to submit to God's way and God's remedy? And then if you're a believer, really that was just the beginning. That was a start. And the question for us is, are we actively choosing to submit to God on a moment-by-moment basis? This is what it means to walk with God. This is what it means to walk out your door tomorrow morning and you go to work. And how you respond to individuals, how you respond to situations, how you deal with difficulties and and difficult circumstances as your flesh becomes contrary, fights against what God wants, and you make the choice. God, what do you want? How do you want me to respond? And I submit. That is what real fellowship is. That is submission in the Christian walk. And I hope you'll strive even this next week to submit yourselves, therefore, to God.